George Soros and his ultimate control of just about everything will teach you how to be a, I can't say the word, well I can, I choose not to. It begins with a B and it rhymes with itch. We'll teach you how to be one tonight. Uh, and a leftist list, yes, a lift list, not for leftists, of leftists. <laughs> Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. We are live, allegedly on Rumble, although at the moment I'm beginning to question that. We might have some technical things, as often happens, over at Rumble. And uh, also on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch.tv. Welcome in to everybody across the planet, wherever you may be. We've got lots going on tonight. We've got so much stuff happening here. And uh, like I said, I am trying to figure out our, uh, our technical issues with Rumble. The lag over there has been horrible. Now, not entirely Rumble's fault. They have been subjected to the most ridiculous uh, DDoS attacks in the last week or two, and it slows everything down. Uh, they've done a lot to fight against it as best they can, but uh, it has become a real nightmare over there for them because, you know, people, people who are against the whole idea of free speech and the ability to actually have your own opinion uh, are doing what they can to try and shut Rumble down. And Rumble says a middle finger to everybody because uh, they ain't putting up with it. Anyway, uh, we will get that fixed if we can. At the moment, we're live on YouTube. We're live on, uh, on Facebook and also on Twitch.tv. So... All right, let's get you updated on our favorite furry little friend. It is the little young lady we lovingly refer to as Miko. And the Miko update. All right, where did she go? Where'd she go? Ah, there she is. Look at that face. Look at that face. <laughs> She's doing great. Uh, we had uh, We had a... Great walk tonight. She met this little poodle friend of hers. When Miko plays, she does this kind of down on her paws and tail wagging, and she gets on her haunches, and she tries to get the other dog going. Most of the dogs just sit there and go, what? But this little poodle knew exactly what she was up to, and the little poodle was totally into it. So the poodle and Miko... Had a great time back and forth. I sadly did not get any pictures. Uh, this is Miko being ghetto. And uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, one of my favorite pictures of the little girl. Anyway, um, so she got a chance to play with this little poodle. And hopefully we'll see her again. Because she's someone from the neighborhood. So uh, we will uh, we'll check it out. And hopefully uh, Miko will have a chance to meet up with this adorable. She The, the owner told me the dog, the poodle's name. And I, I can't remember it. It's just slipped my mind because I'm old. All right, Miko update brought to you by BarkBox. BarkBox.com slash Miko is the link. It's in our show notes tonight. And if you would like to head over there, you will find, if you do have a little fur friend, uh, you will find an amazing assortment of dog toys, treats, and chews for your dog. It's delivered straight to your door every month. You just sign up for one month, six months, or 12 months. And if you sign up for a multi-month subscription using our link, BarkBox.com slash Miko, you get a free month. Also, if you look underneath that link, you'll see another special link, which gets you to a 
Another premium offer, if you choose, you can pick a free dog bed as a bonus for signing up. They're beautiful. They come in sizes, small, medium, large. They come in three different kinds of fabrics, color design, and they really are beautiful and comfy. So you can pick a free dog bed or the uh, free month when you sign up for a multi-month subscription using our link, barkbox.com slash Linko or Miko or that second link in our show notes. 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Anything you ever don't like about it, you just let them know. Every month you'll get two bags of treats, two fabulous dog toys, and a dog chew, sized right for your dog. So check them out. It's BarkBox.com slash Miko. And uh, all right, cool beans. What, uh, let me just take, okay, uh, Rumble is good. We're good over there. Uh, for some reason, it looks like YouTube is being a little freaky. I'm not sure. Let me see. Now we're okay. All right, we're good to go on all the platforms. Cool beans. All right, let's turn this down. Hold on. We got to just uh, do a little switch over here. And we will start off uh, right off the bat with this crap. Uh, it's just, un- I got three different articles in there. They're all in our show notes. So you can check it out. Um, because, of course, I decided to start with this one because that idiot just got through mumbling his way through an entirely ridiculous jam-packed, full of lies, State of the Union address. It was a joke. It was good to see, finally, people heckling him, laughing at him. And don't tell me, oh, you need to respect the office of the president. This man deserves no respect. He is a rotting bag of oatmeal. He has absolutely no link to reality whatsoever, and all he does is lie. And everybody else, all his little supporters, oh, yes, thank you, Joe. He's an idiot. Anyway, with George, uh, Joe, with Joe Biden, George Soros finally had a president he could control. This article is from the New York Post, and it is by the amazing Matt Palumbo. Matt wrote the book on uh, George uh, Soros. The book uh, that Matt wrote was called uh, The Man Behind the Curtain, Inside the Secret Network of George Soros. And if you want the ultimate expose of this criminal George Soros, you need to get his book. Uh, I'm not being paid to endorse it. It is absolutely amazing. I have it. I've read it. you got to read it. Matt Palumbo, look it up. It's the man behind the curtain inside the secret network of George Soros. The man is 92 years old. Seriously, Soros, when is enough enough? Just die already. Soros boosts more influence than ever right now in the Oval Office. Despite dumping millions into U.S. presidential elections before, he has, fortunately for the country, incinerated most of that money into thin air. Soros donated tens of millions to the failed presidential campaign of John Kerry and Hillary Clinton. And even when he did score a win with Barack Obama, he would later complain that it didn't get him the sort of influence he was looking for. He closed the door on him, Soros told the New York Times. He made one phone call thanking me for my support, which was meant to last for five minutes, and I engaged him, and he had to spend another three minutes with me. So it dragged out to eight minutes. Look at this. This man's face just makes me seethe. 
Anyway, Matt writing here, as he uncovered in his book, uh, with President Biden, Soros's lackeys are everywhere. Soros' infiltration of Team Biden began even before he took office. Transition team formed in the 2020 election and quickly began staffing itself with liberals connected to Soros and Soros's network. And it's just, it goes on and on. All the details are in this article. You must check this out. This is by uh, Matt Palumbo. And uh, it's brilliant for background. Uh, Matt writes, this is the third of three articles that he's done uh, on Soros and all of the all of the mess that he has created and um, go out and check, go check all of them. They're from the New York post. Um, It's frightening. It's absolutely frightening. Uh, And also from the New York post, (laughs) if it will come up, I'm getting lagged now really bad. Um, How Soros. Okay. When you're done with the ads, how Soros cop, uh, co-ops the media and keeps criticism down. All right. The most dangerous man in America. The investor is intent on remaking the country in his liberal image. Foreign policy priorities to undermining criminal justice systems. And... Uh, Again, this is Matt Palumbo. This is his second essay. I put it in the show notes because it's a must read. And this gets into things like the Media Research Center, who've exposed connections between Soros and 54 prominent media figures like that that time, including reporters, anchors, columnists, editors, news executives, and journalists. Highest profile media figures revealed to have connections to Soros, often due to them sitting on boards of organizations, include Christiane Amanpour from CNN, Lester Holt at NBC and The Washington Post, Sally Busby, Associated Press Executive Editor Julie Pace, Reuters Editor-in-Chief Alexandra Galloni. It just goes on and on and on. This man has peddled his influence and pushed his money around so he has made himself the emperor. And this Nazi sympathizer, just trust me. Okay, you know what? Don't trust me. Read the article. Check out this third one in our show notes. It's from uh, hearts.com. Why do so many people hate George Soros? The eldest son of Bob Dylan, Jesse Dylan, uh, told how he tried to get the real story on Jewish billionaire philanthropist uh, George Soros, who is loathed by not just far-right forces worldwide, by lots of people, right and left. Nazi collaborator, the world's biggest drug dealer, a traitor to the United States, one of the most evil people in the world, and even Satan's seed. To judge some of the epithets hurled at him over the years, George Soros uh, has been a problem. 
Now, again, this is a paid site, so you'll need to have, have a subscription. But this article is amazing. Cannot recommend it enough. It's even worth signing up, paying the fee to get the chance to, to read this article. Uh, and again, it uh, uh, focuses on Jesse Dillon, Bob Dillon's son, and his attempt to tell the, uh, the George Soros story. The man is trouble. He's been trouble from the beginning, and uh, he's going to continue to be trouble. What scares me, what scares me is what might happen after he goes. I don't know that he, I'm sure he's got Satan's spawns running around somewhere. Are they as evil as he is? We're not the only ones, by the way, in the U.S. who can't stand this man. Guess who else can't stand him? China. Not kidding. Chinese state media slams Soros as the most evil person in the world. Chinese state media. And the son of Satan. It didn't take China long to respond to George Soros after he went nuclear on Beijing and the U.S. investment titans abandoning their ESG ideals to capitalize on China's massive market. Over the weekend, China's fund, uh, state-run tabloid Global Times labeled George Soros a global economic terrorist. That's a quote from the uh, Chinese uh, state-run tabloid. In a tit-for-tat exchange playing out on dueling op-eds, the article published September 4th, so this was a while ago, accused the billionaire hedge fund manager and liberal donor, Democrat supporter, of providing finance to Hong Kong's jailed newspaper owner, Jimmy Lai. Unbelievable. This article goes on. It gets you some background about what has happened in the past with uh, the way Soros has fought against all the, uh, all the right-wing rights of free speech, among other things. It's absolutely frightening. And it gives a great back history. In fact, somewhere in here, and I, I can't find the exact reference now, they talk about the different global economies in different countries that Soros has helped to destroy. And I was quite surprised to find Thailand and Malaysia, my current home country, and hopefully permanent home country, I, I don't see it now. I thought it was in this article, but apparently not. It's in one of the articles in our show notes tonight, so do check it out. But uh, I, I didn't have a chance and uh, to research that as much as I would have liked to have. But I'm going to check that out and see because, you know, we here in Malaysia have gone through it in the past. It would be interesting to see if there is a connection to this evil personified man. All right, moving along. From Blaze Media, links in our show notes. If you'd like to know, we're going to give you instruct. Well, we're going to tell you how. I'm not going to give you instructions, but we'll tell you how. Westminster College is now offering a course in how to be a biatch. I'll say it that way because I'm not comfortable saying the word bitch. Oh. Uh, yeah, serious. Not kidding. Uh, in Utah, Westminster College is offering a two-credit course. It is called How to Be a B-I-T-C-H. And the 
course title actually includes the full uncensored profanity. Uh, Reframing the realities of women in leadership. What does the media teach us about women or gender and leadership, aggression, and behavior? What does interpersonal and organizational communications teach us? Why are words like biatch and bossy so interesting yet problematic? Come unpack that word and its relative objectives to find out what you want to embrace and what we wish would go away. That's the course description. Apparently, the course is going to run from May 8th to June 3rd. Not new. It's been offered previously. And the school appears to be currently offering a four-credit course called Dead White Women, which is going to be happening during the spring of this year's semester. That's what you're spending tens of of thousands of dollars on when you send your kids to these colleges. Is it worth it? Hmm? Yeah? A gender studies degree, which is going to get you absolutely nothing. All right. Another one from Blaze Media. Oh, man, this is scary. With all that's happened since the pandemic... And everything that's going on, we said, we showed you the uh, the story and in one of our previous shows recently about the doctor who uh, actually wound up dumping the vaccines and replacing them with saline and giving that to children, which I frankly, I think he's a hero for it. Sadly, I think he's probably been arrested, at least had his license suspended or revoked to whatever ridiculous. Anyway, uh, get this one. Doctor has been sentenced for writing 10 thousand subscriptions for drugs while getting kickbacks from the manufacturer. True story. An Ohio, a Hudson, Ohio doctor has been sentenced to more than two years in prison for issuing prescriptions for a drug while he was getting kickbacks from the pharmaceutical company that manufactures it. This is according to Yahoo News. Dr. Deepak Rahija, 66 years old, received 30 months in prison and ordered to help pay over $2 million and a $50,000 fine for prescribing the drug Nudexta to patients who didn't need it. The drug treats pseudobulbar effect, which is a condition resulting from brain or neurological injuries. It causes sudden and frequent bouts of laughter or crying. Uh, He had his medical license revoked. He had issued 10,088 prescriptions, over 10,000 prescriptions in five years from October 2011 to April 2016. It amounts to about 180 prescriptions per month by this quack. According to court records, he gave 211 presentations promoting the drug and was paid 1500 bucks for every appearance. The presentations took places in, place in offices, high-end restaurants using slides which were prepared by the pharmaceutical company. 
in exchange for writing prescriptions to those who didn't need treatment, those people who didn't need the drug, he wrote them a prescription anyway. He got monetary kickbacks and other items of value, according to the Akron Beacon Journal. The company in question, Avenir Pharmaceuticals, whose manager co-conspired to increase the number of prescriptions of Nudexta in the region. In the region, uh, the regional manager, 44-year-old Frank Mazuko, supervising sales in the area where this doctor was practicing, he got three hundred thirty-one thousand over dollars for his role in the scheme. Three hundred thirty-one thousand. Holy crap! A second doctor has already been sentenced to serve three years probation in order to pay $40,000 in restitution. Now, if you take this drug and you do not need it, among all the other obvious complications, side effects include diarrhea, dizziness, cough, vomiting, weakness, and the swelling of feet and ankles. You may also have unexplained bleeding or bruising. It can result in the reduction in the number of platelets in your blood, which can be severe and, if untreated, can be fatal. By the way, the prescriptions for these drugs were often billed to Medicaid and Medicare. Yeah. You know, we already have a problem in this country, in the U.S., trusting doctors after all that's happened in the last two-plus years. This kind of crap ain't going to help. Unbelievable. All right, I got a top ten list for you because everybody likes top ten lists, right? Well, you're going to love this one. The top ten woke offenders. These are the companies that push radical left agendas. Fire conservative staff. Yes, a new database can help conservative consumers identify which companies actively work to promote leftist ideology and in some cases will fire their employees if they find out they are conservative. The 1792 Exchange, nonprofit group focuses on the dangers of woke capitalism. They've come out with a list Database, over a thousand companies listed. Database assesses the risk that a company will cancel a contract or a client or boycott, divest, or deny service based on your view or your belief. Some scary crap. And here are just a few examples of the companies deemed high risk. Alaska Airlines. They fired two employees after they spoke out against the company's support from the Equality Act, a bill that would require girls' sports teams to let biological males play. All-state insurance suspended PAC donations to members of Congress who objected to the election certification, streamlined funds to Planned Parenthood, and created ads promoting LGBT values back in 2005. 
Comcast, number three on the list. Not only will this company's internet service throw you into despair, but it will also promote, it also promotes leftism and in some cases, extreme leftism. They're an advocate for the Equality Act. They've issued statements opposing Georgia's election security bill. You're a company. You sell a product. Stay the freak out of politics and sell your products. CVS, drugstore chain, very famous in the U.S., famous for their mile-long receipts and apparently woke on everything except wasting paper. It advocates for the Equality Act, transgender participation in girls' sports, and the company signed an open letter opposing the Florida bill that would prevent teaching gender identity and sexual orientation in schools to kids in kindergarten through third grade. That is what they have misnamed the Don't Say Gay Bill, which it isn't. Ford, they're on the list. Coles, Kroger, the Marriott Hotel chain. They've embraced more leftist causes than a college student at Berkeley. <laughs> Just read the article. They're all there. Mattel. Oh, and here's a surprise. Coming in at number 10, Pfizer. They don't hold back from getting involved in issues unrelated to health. They've signed open letters supporting the Equality Act, transgenders and youth sports, uh, matching donations to Planned Parenthood. Uh, this is just a few. They have a thousand over of these companies in their database. These are the top 10. You need to check this list out, which is why I put that in our show notes tonight for you to, uh, as a matter of fact, bookmark it. Keep it. Hang on to it. Share it with your friends. Because this is the kind of, you know, if the left is going to boycott right-wing companies when they do things they disagree with, then you know what? I guess it might just be time to do the same thing back. So you want the list? It's right there in our show notes. Check it out. All right. We got, uh, what do we got? We got one more to go? I think we do. Yes, we do. Uh, one more and then a little thing, and then we're going to get on with White Fang. Um, it's very quick, <laughs> but I loved it. Uh, check out this sign from the county of Fairfax. Now, <laughs> I know what they were trying to do. But when you see this, given the current state of the planet that we live on, this becomes more scary than you think. For those listening on the podcast, it is a official government sign that says County of Fairfax, Citizen Disposal Facility, Furnace Road. Oh, man. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, couldn't they have come up with a better name? I, there's just... Uh, there's got to be. It's unbelievable. Ah, oh, man. All right. What else? <laughs> this is crazy. Oh, I know. I know. I want to share one thing with you. I, I don't have a, a, a post to show you for this. Um, but somebody wrote this. It's it's a private post. It's a, it's a, it's a famous saying, but they posted it privately. So I didn't want to post that. It's, it's not public. And I don't put stuff on the air that isn't public. But this writing a little short paragraph from Dan 
Guy Minhart is amazing. And I think you're going to like it. It's very quick, like 10, 20 seconds. Um, a little, little precursor to this. I'm a member of a whole bunch of different online Shiba Inu groups on Facebook. And there's always people posting cool pictures of their Shiba Inus. I post some of mine, of course, of Miko. And um, so we, we see these all the time. They're amazing. And uh, sometimes people will post pictures of their dogs having crossed the Rainbow Bridge and having passed away. And I have to tell you that ever it's always bothered me, no matter what. But since having Miko, um, this kind of stuff has bothered me more than ever. I, I don't know why. I just, because I know that thought. We're a long way off from that thought. But that thought is one that just absolutely crushes me. And then I saw this. I think you'll enjoy it. Dogs die, but dogs live too. Right up until they die, they live. They live brave, beautiful lives. They protect their families, and they love us. They make our lives a little brighter. And they don't waste time being afraid of tomorrow. Words to live by. And maybe another lesson we can learn from our furry friends. That was written by Dan Geminhart. Brilliant, brilliant. Saw that, had to share it. Absolutely amazing. Okay, it's time to get on to our book. We read books on this show. I keep telling you that every show we've been doing from almost the beginning. Uh, we've done The Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, The Little Prince, uh, Alice in Wonderland, you name it. We've done so many classic books. We're thinking about doing Treasure Island next. It's a long book, but it's well worth the read. Right now, though, we've been doing White Fang, a classic from 1906 written by Jack London. Absolutely amazing book, and uh, we're uh, we're getting there. We're can I? We think we're in part two now, chapter four or five, and uh, it's uh, mainly focused on White Fang and the little gray cub, a gray wolf, and they just were attacked by a pack of dogs. Well, that didn't last very long, and let's continue on with White Fang. The last dog had been driven back. The hubbub died down, and White Fang licked his hurts and meditated upon this. His first taste of pack cruelty and his introduction to the pack. He'd never dreamed that his own kind consisted of more than one eye, his mother, and himself. They'd constituted a kind apart, and here, abruptly, he discovered many, many more creatures, apparently of his own kind. There was a subconscious resentment that these, his kind at first sight, had pitched upon him, tried to destroy him. In the same way he resented his mother being tied with a stick, even though it was done by the superior man-animals. It savored of the trap of bondage, and yet of the trap and of bondage he knew nothing. Freedom to roam and run and lie down at will had been his heritage, and here it was being infringed upon. 
His mother's movements were restricted to the length of the length of a stick. And the length of that stick, so was he restricted, for he had not yet gone beyond the need of his mother's side. He did not like it, nor did he like it when the man-animals arose and went on with their march, for a tiny man-animal took the other end of the stick and led Kiche captive behind him, and behind Kiche followed White Fang, greatly perturbed and worried by this new adventure he had entered upon. Well, they went down into the valley of the stream, far beyond White Fang's widest ranging, until they came to the end of the valley, where the stream ran into the Mackenzie River. Here, where canoes were cached upon poles high in the air, and where stood fish racks for the drying of fish, camp was made. White Fang looked on with his wondering eyes. The superiority of these man-animals increased with every moment. There was their mastery over all these sharp-fanged dogs. It breathed of power, but greater than that to the wolf cub was their mastery over things that were not alive. Their capacity to communicate motion to unmoving things, their capacity to change the very face of the world. It was this last that especially affected him. The evolutions of frames of poles caught his eye, yet this in itself wasn't so remarkable, being done by the same creatures that flung sticks and stones to great distances. But when the frames of poles were made into teepees by being covered with cloth and skins, White Fang was astounded. It was the colossal bulk of them that impressed him. They arose around him on every side like some monstrous, quick-growing form of life. They occupied nearly the whole circumference of his field of vision. He, he was afraid of them. They loomed ominously above him, and when the breeze stirred them into huge movements, he cowered down in fear, keeping his eyes warily upon them and preparing to spring away if they attempted to precipitate themselves upon him. But in a short while, his fear of the teepees passed away. He saw the women and children passing in and out of them without harm. He saw the dogs trying often to get into them and being driven away with sharp words and flying stones. And after a time, he left Kichi's side, crawled cautiously towards the wall of the nearest teepee. It was the curiosity of growth that urged upon him, the necessity of learning and living and doing that brings experience. The last few inches to the wall of the teepee were crawled with painful slowness and precaution. The day's events had prepared him for the unknown to manifest itself in most stupendous and unthinkable ways. At last, his nose touched the canvas. He waited. Nothing happened. And then he smelled the strange fabric, saturated with the man smell. He closed on the canvas with his teeth and gave a gentle tug. Nothing happened. Though the adjacent portions of the teepee moved, he tugged harder. There was a greater movement. It was delightful. He tugged still harder and repeatedly, 
until the whole teepee was in motion. And then the sharp cry of a squaw inside sent him scampering back to Kichi. But after that, he was afraid no more of the looming bulk of the teepees. A moment later, he was straying again away from his mother. His stick was tied to a peg in the ground, and she couldn't follow him. A park-grown puppy, somewhat larger and older than he, came towards him slowly, with ostentatious and belligerent importance. The puppy's name, as White Fang was afterwards to hear him called, was Lip-Lip. He'd experience in puppy fights and was already something of a bully. Well, Lip-Lip was White Fang's own kind, and being only a puppy didn't seem dangerous. So White Fang prepared to meet him in a friendly spirit. But when the stranger's walk became stiff-legged and his lips lifted clear of his teeth, White Fang stiffened too and answered with lifted lips. They half-circled about each other, tentatively snarling and bristling. This lasted several minutes, and White Fang was beginning to enjoy it, sort of a game. But suddenly, with remarkable swiftness, Lip-Lip leaped in, delivering a slashing snap, and leaped away again. The snap had taken effect on the shoulder that had been hurt by the lynx, and it was still sore deep down to the bone. The surprise and hurt of it brought out a yelp from White Fang. The next moment, in a rush of anger, he was upon Lip-Lip and snapping viciously. But Lip-Lip had lived in his, this camp his entire life. He'd fought many puppy fights. Three times, four times, half a dozen times, his sharp little teeth scored on the newcomer, until White Fang yelped shamelessly, fled to the protection of his mother. It was the first of many fights he was to have with Lip-Lip, for they were enemies from the start, born so with nature's destined perpetuity to clash. Kichi licked White Fang soothingly with her tongue, tried to prevail upon him to remain with her, but his curiosity was rampant. Several minutes later, he was venturing forth, on a new quest. He came upon one of the man-animals, Grey Beaver, who was squatting on his hams, doing something with sticks and dry moss spread before him on the ground. White Fang came near to him and watched. Grey Beaver made mouth noises, which White Fang interpreted as not hostile, so he came still nearer. Women and children carrying more sticks and branches to Grey Beaver it was evidently an affair of moment. White Fang came in, till in until he touched Grey Beaver's knee. So curious was he, he already forgetful that this was a terrible man-animal. Suddenly, he saw a strange thing like mist begin to rise from the sticks and the moss underneath Grey Beaver's hands. Then, amongst the sticks themselves, appeared a live thing twisting, turning, of a color like the color of the sun in the sky. White Fang knew nothing about fire. It drew him in as the light 
in the mouth of the cave had drawn him in in his early puppyhood. He crawled the several steps towards the flame. He heard Gray Beaver chuckle above him, and he knew the sound was not hostile. And then his nose touched the flame, and at the same instant, his little tongue went out to it. For a moment, he was paralyzed. The unknown lurking in the midst of the sticks and moss was savagely clutching him by the nose. He scrambled backwards, bursting out in an astonished explosion of kaiyis, and the sound, Akiche leaped, snarling to the end of her stick, and there raged terribly because she could not come to his aid. But Grey Beaver laughed loudly, slapped his thighs, and told the happening to all the rest of the camp, till everybody was laughing uproariously. But White Fang sat on his haunches, Keyed and keyed, a forlorn and pitiable little figure in the midst of all the man animals. It was the worst hurt he had ever known. Both nose and tongue had been scorched by the live thing, sun colored, that had grown up under Gray Beaver's hands. He cried and cried intermittently and every fresh rail was greeted by bursts of laughter on the part of the man-animals. He tried to soothe his nose with his tongue, but his tongue was burnt too, and the two hurts coming together produced an even greater hurt, whereupon he cried more hopelessly and more helplessly than ever. And then shame came to him. He knew laughter, the meaning of it. It is not given to us to know how some animals know laughter and know when they're being laughed at, but it was this same way that White Fang knew it. And he felt shame that the man-animals should be laughing at him. He turned and fled away, not from the hurt of the fire, but from the laughter that sank even deeper and hurt in the spirit of him. He fled to Kiche, raging at the end of her stick like an animal gone mad. Dikiche, the one creature in the world who was not laughing at him. Twilight drew down and night came on and White Fang lay by his mother's side. And that's where we'll leave it for tonight. I told you this book is amazing. It is from Jack London, written in, first published, I should say, in 1906, the story of White Fang. It's been republished a million times. It's been a film or two. Uh, it's a great story. We'll continue on with this coming up on our next show, which will be Saturday night at 10, Malaysian time. All right, that's going to do it for us. Thanks a whole bunch, guys, for sticking with us. Please, if I can ask you one small favor... If you wouldn't mind, hit that follow button. It's right over here, especially on Rumble. Uh, I know research says that, you know, uh, like less than 1% of you will actually do it. Costs nothing, totally free. If you take a moment, just click the button. It's right over here. It says follow, and it really helps the show out a lot. Doesn't cost a dime. We really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. All right, we'll see you again on Saturday night. Uh, one more? Yeah, okay, we're good. All right. Good night, everybody. This has been the Jay Sheldon Show. Not that one.
this one.